Hello everybody and welcome to Comic Book Fix, the um, currently planned to be monthly podcast where members of the Gaming Fix team and extended family talk about the comics that they're reading, comics that they have read and that they're looking forward to reading. So um, this week uh, you've got myself, Sam and Pat on the line. Yeah, hello. So uh, essentially I bullied Pat into doing this um, <laughs> by bullying him into reading an excessive amount of comics. It um, didn't require that much bullying once once I got into it. Yeah, you were like Fantastic Four. God's sake, come on. Yes, no, I that, I, I I officially have turned the corner on Fantastic Four. Uh, I absolutely uh, grew up not liking those characters, really in any context or capacity. But uh, but but the I have I've come around on them. I still think that it's harder for me to go back to old Fantastic Four than it is for me to go back to older anything else. Um, because for some reason it just seems cheesier to me, even though all comics from the sixties and seventies are cheesy. Uh, but, uh, but, but the, the read is like a, they're all very good characters. Um, spe- I specifically really like um, Sue and Reed a lot. So. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what happens in terms of their cinema interpretation. Definitely. Yeah. I think, I still think that like, Johnny is a little bit more tolerable for me, but, um, uh, but, but Ben is just so, I don't know the way he like, the way they write him is always like really hard for me to, to get, I don't know. <laughs> he's always just he's, seems like such a cornball. Like he doesn't, he doesn't, and he's not aware of it. I don't know. Uh, like he thinks he's cool. Uh, but we, we can get into the nitty gritty about specific characters. <laughs> later time. Another time. Yeah. So um, basically today what we're going to do is we're going to try and keep the show short, sharp and fun for everybody. Um, so we're looking at trying to make a show that's about an hour long. We want to uh, talk a little bit about a specific issue that both of us have read. Um, so we've got two comics this week, one each. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, Jonathan Hickman's X-Men number one. And uh, Warren Ellis's The Batman's Grave. Um, mostly The Batman's Grave, I read it because the title was cool. Um, so you know, we'll get to that and what we thought on both of those. Um, and then our topic of the show this week is that we are going to talk about our comics history. So what comics we love, where we started, and what we kind of currently read at the moment. So uh, hopefully that sounds fun to you. Um, should we start with the blockbuster and start with X-Men? Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's a good idea. And we're not really necessarily going to talk about the entirety of um, Hoxpox, I don't think, was the plan today. But um, I'm going to focus more on issue one of X-Men that came out this week. Um, but obviously that's a little bit informed by what's been going on um, with that event that just concluded. Uh, or the limited run that just concluded. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, if we, we can talk about what I would think it would be cool is if we talk about Hoxbox as like a topic of the show at some point yes, in the future. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, because of the way that book was written. Well, the two books that were just one, very clearly 12-issue series mm-hmm. with different themes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, as far as issue one is concerned, I think uh, it was interesting to me that it felt like m- more set up. Um, I'm not really complaining about that because I actually something that media does uh, in general and and specifically um, genre media uh, is I like the little moments. I like the kind of like downtime between huge things. Um, I've been thinking about it with uh, my partner and I are are also watching Arrow. Um, We're now a little bit past what I've seen of the show when it first was on and uh, she had never seen it. Um, and uh, so something that sometimes I find frustrating with shows like that, and it's understandable as to why they have to do this. Um, so I don't really blame them, but I want to see um, like, there's a great um, few episodes where uh, Oliver is in a relationship with uh, a police detective McKenna played by an actress that Janina, that I'm a pretty big fan of Um but uh, I, w- I wish that we could have just seen a couple episodes that were just like a sitcom where he didn't have to go do a bunch of stuff where it just was like him, like the two of them and their relationship. And like maybe they go on a couple more double dates with uh, Tommy and Laurel, like that kind of thing. So uh, how that relates to X-Men is um, I one of the things I love most about Hawks Pox and this issue is I really enjoy how much time they're willing Hickman is willing to spend on showing these characters in their quieter moments. Um, and, um, we got that a lot with, that's kind of like when I think about issue one, I did only read it a couple times, but when I think about it, that's the stuff. Those are the moments, the moments in the summer's house that really kind of come to the front of my mind as being what I liked about it. And so I'm certainly not complaining, but I was kind of expecting it to be a little bit more explosive off the jump. Than, than, it, than it turned out to be. Yeah, because there's essentially, like, there is kind of a fight scene at the beginning. Um, you get to see them invade the Orcus Initiative. I think they're called the yes. Orcus Initiative. Yep. Mm-hmm. You, there's, let me have, I'm going to have a quick flick through now. Yeah, like, <laughs> I should have I should have pulled the comics up before, <laughs> but I'm doing the same. There's like eight pages of Orcus Initiative, and mm-hmm. then, so where are we? Yeah, so 17 pages out of 40, so more than eight, but that includes the cover and the you know opening page and stuff. So, yeah, so, well, actually, yeah, it's probably about 10 pages of combat, kind of, 10 pages of action, and then we've got about 20 to 30 of, um, like, scene setting. Yeah, and, and stuff happening in Krakoa and on in the, at the Summer's House and stuff, yeah. Um, and I yeah. really, I really liked that. Uh, I'm still not super comfortable with all of the characters. Um, the, the one thing that is a little bit, I think it's good ultimately, but one thing that is a little bit tough about this X-Men series is, um, that he's kind of drawing on, he's forefronting some characters that are not classically like classical X-Men characters. Cause most of my familiarity with the X-Men is from, the animated series in the nine eighties, late eighties, early nineties, just nineties. Um, and then, uh, more, I, I really liked the animated series. Um, was it called X-Men unlimited? The one that they did. Yeah. 
excuse me, later in like the nineties. Mm-hmm. I like that one yeah, a lot. Was- I was the perfect age for that one when it aired. I was like preteen, so it was just it was it was I loved it. Um, and I never really read that many X Men comic books. Uh, and then of course I saw the movies. Um, though I, the more distance we get, the less I like those movies. Uh, <laughs> but um, but so anyway, the the point being that there are some characters in that Hickman's working with um, that I think it's great because bringing some more minor characters up as more major ones is really cool, especially considering the breadth of books they have available to touch on the, the more classic characters. Um, but it is, it is still giving me a little bit of whiplash to go like, well, wait, who is this character? Who is this character? Um, mm. I, it's so much. That I almost have considered a few times, just like opening up Marvel unlimited, finding searching on those characters and then reading a couple of books that from the earliest that they showed up just to try to get an idea of more who they are. Mm. So uh, the interesting additions for me, um, so I'll just, I've got the character list literally here, so I'll just real quick read through it. So um, in the, in one of the data pages, Hickman lists off who the team are. And yes. we've got, mm-hmm. yeah, Cyclops Storm, obviously big mainstays. Then Polaris, who don't really see very often. She's have Magneto's daughter, mm-hmm. yep, um, yep. Havoc's girlfriend, ex-girlfriend. I'm not actually sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, basically every mutant relationship seems to have been reset in Hoxbox. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then Magneto being on the X-Men, that's not really a new thing. Um, so he has for a while now been wearing that white suit with the X-Men logo on the belt. And that's one of the, um, again, this is kind of one of those things that, you know, better saved for a larger discussion of Hoxbox, but I think it's still important to, to touch on. That is, I think, one of the coolest things about this series is like Magneto is such a phenomenal character. I am someone who generally has a lot of distaste for the concept of the like redeemable villain. Like I really, really, one of my favorite things about the way that um, Endgame wrapped uh, in the MCU is the fact that Thanos is not portrayed. Like he is kind of revealed to just be power hungry. Like he justifies it how he justifies it. But I mean, ultimately he says like, I am going to I'm going to do more than just snap half the people away. I'm going to take it down to brass tacks and rebuild it in my image kind of thing, because I I like villains that are bad um, and that are and and that don't they don't try to say like they don't try to humanize the guy that committed genocide, basically. So anyway, with all that said, Magneto is a character who is not like that, who has redeemable qualities and who has a tragic past that is makes it more understandable as to why he would be the way he is and. I really appreciate that character. So it's cool to see him on like the good side. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool to see Magneto in the X-Men and um, I, I, like, I like the character. I really like how he fits in the team in terms of um, like, he's kind of like one of the powerhouses of the X-Men um, of the new Scott led team. Yep. But I also, um, I really like that they're definitely setting something up with him. Because when they go back to Krakoa and everybody loves him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like all their, um, like 
all everyone cares about is that they want to speak to Magneto or like talk to Magneto. Yep. He's almost, uh, he almost has this sort of um, messianic quality. Not that, not that he is cast the same way in that role, but he has this sort of like, in a way that you almost would expect, you know, he fills a role that you would almost expect Charles to fulfill. Whereas Charles yes. is much more like what is going on with him? Like he is much more mysterious and, um, and seems angrier almost than Magneto even, um, which I think is really interesting. Uh, and yeah, and it seems like too. they've kind of switched roles. Yes. Uh, and I, and I like that, that, that juxtaposition because, um, you know, I love Charles too. He's a, he's a great character, but, um, but, but I think that, uh, when you, we, I mean, the X-Men have always been a lens to, uh, explore marginalization and racism. Um, obviously that's like kind of where their roots lie from their creation is like a really smart way to talk about those things in a comic book without alienating people and without appropriating from existing cultures, and yeah. um, I've always appreciated that. But when you view it through a 2019 lens, like we always, it always made sense that they would be these people that still care about humanity because that is frankly how <laughs> like society likes to cast a lot of minority groups is like, well, you know, we're sympathetic because they're still, they're still good people kind of thing. And it's all kind of, shitty like it's hard for um majorities to speak on that stuff and write that kind of stuff so it's kind of cool to see the fact that now the x-men are saying like no we tried you continued to hurt us and to 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 murder us and stuff and society at large just didn't seem to care so we're done uh, and we have things you need now and we're stronger than you and come find us. And I think that the fact that like, um, that, that Charles has finally kind of like accepted that is really interesting and feels appropriate for kind of where we're at. Like, I think if this book came out 25 years ago, it would have been a lot harder for a lot of comic book readers to swallow, but like, just makes sense now with the state of the world that this would be that this is the X-Men for this time kind of is like, how do we take care of ourselves without harming people too much, but also we don't have to protect them every step of the way. Yeah, It's, um, it's really interesting because the, the whole concept of X-Men was always that they didn't want to be a part. They wanted to be part of human society and to be accepted. Exactly. Um, but it's kind of like if you this bit of a tangent, but if you talk if you watch some of the promotional stuff for the new Netflix Queer Eye show, they talk about how the first um the first Queer Eye series was just trying to get acceptance, was just trying to get people to accept that it was okay for other people to be gay. And like the 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 new show is more about like, no, we want to integrate, we want you to understand us, us to understand, you know. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, but the X-Men, they never skip that hurdle. Like, mutants are probably, by and large, not accepted in the Marvel Universe. And they haven't got that stage of acceptance, and they've gone, well, actually, we're gods. Let's just go live somewhere else. Yes, yeah. 
Uh, and, and that's a good, that's a really good comparison. I think is, um, is, is that exact thing. Uh, and it's kind of what I'm getting at is, and it's, and it's a, you know, it's an analog, not just for, for race, but for a, a wide range of different, um, different marginalizing factors that, that can be a part of someone's identity. And I think it's, I would assume and hope that a writer as smart as Hickman is doing it on purpose, um, yeah. to kind of, to, 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 to show like how we have, because what you're saying about, um, about, about the X-Men wanting to be part of, be part of humanity is like, that's totally the way that frankly, like majority cultures, whether it's, you know, straight people or white people or whatever for so many decades and for hundreds of years, whatever, like it goes back way further, but I'm thinking about in the the time that comic books have been around, um, have always assumed that it's like, Oh, well I don't see race. I don't see color. I don't see, you're not different than me. We're the same. And the point all along has been like, no, that's not really true. There are cultural differences that are important to celebrate and acknowledge. It's not about making everyone the same. And, um, and so I think your point is like, that's super, super what I am really, that's the thing I'm liking the most about this run of X-Men. That's the reason, frankly, why, like I went from not, I had, I hadn't had a polis in like a decade. I don't think like I used to get comic books with my dad when I was in middle and high school, but, um, I just was like, well, screw it. I'm going to get all six of this, these Dawn of X books, because I think that premise is so strong and, and interesting. And I'm, I'm really interested to see where they go. Um, there's, I feel like in this X-Men issue one, they set up like so many small things. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so like that for me, there's like the girl in the Orcus facility Mm-hmm. That's like the she's got the black skin. Yep, it reminded me a little bit of Black Swan from the Infinity Saga. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely. then they're obviously setting up Magneto, and then like the next thing I feel like is that they're also kind of setting up something at the Summers House. Yes. Yeah. So, which like the Wolverine Gene and Scott rooms and how like they're all connected yeah by a side door it's like oh okay this it's, is brilliant yeah it's interesting it's it's going to be interesting to see where that goes i'm not that's actually always been a, a a relationship triangle that has kind of weirdly made me a little uncomfortable in the past but not necessarily in a bad way um more in a like uh i like all of the characters involved enough that it's like oh come on just like just sort it out. <laughs> uh, um, so it's interesting to see that. And I generally have uh, a hard time. Well, I'm of course uh, like accepting of people's lifestyles and, and, um, and, and relationships. I usually have a hard time with um, the, like with, with Paul, like the concept of polyamorous relationships personally. So um, mm. I think it'd be interesting too, if they explore some of that and like, there is it's like a, a not just two of them in that relationship kind of thing. Uh, and the hints yeah. that he's dropped about that are very like there's very much a like, oh, OK, because even I stopped. I think it's impossible not to stop when they're having the celebration in Hoxpox and Logan like comes up and he's got his arms around Summers and Gene Gray and just like. What is wow? That's that's awful friendly, (laughs) 
for the yeah. given the history of those characters. <laughs> and then further, the way that like Emma and, and Scott interact is also like very interesting um, and has new context when you consider all of that, because clearly like something is going on there, too. Um, yeah. And uh, and and so I think it's hopeful. I mean, I, it was cool is that I don't get the it doesn't look like it's going to be a thing that is like super sappy necessarily and is more just an aspect of the mutant society that they're building um, that I think is pretty yeah. interesting. I I mean, I will say now I've always been on the side of I think Emma and Scott is much more interesting than Scott I and agree. And I think I think Gene Logan is a lot more interesting than Gene Scott, too. Personally. Um, Yeah. Uh, I I really want to see what's going on with Emma. Like she became one of my favorite X-Men characters when uh, Grant Morrison wrote new X-Men, which was God knows how many years ago now. I think I was a teenager at the time. Um, And um, sorry, just making sure the cat isn't trying to get out of the room. Oh, you're fine. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so uh, really interested in what's going on with Emma. Um, but I'm, I'll put forward, I think we're coming kind of to the end of where we're talking here yeah, about yeah, X-Men. Yeah, yes. And I want to put forward my theory that none of the characters that we're seeing are the characters that that they're all clones well, made we, from mind backups. Sure. I, actually, I think the only one that isn't is Magneto. I think that he's, I yeah, think I he's think the Magneto's, original. I think this similar things for like I think Corsair is obviously the original because he's not a mutant. Yeah, um, Vulcan, but but I think that the main X Men yes. like Scott, Gene, yes. Logan, absolutely they are clones. Yeah, well, I feel like the Logan, real Scott is going to turn up at least Scott because Scott yes. lost his eye in we, Uncanny X Men, and we so know we saw him eye. die. Right? Didn't I thought he we saw him die in Hoxbox? Yeah, we see him die in Hoxbox. Well, die. You mean, he can come back. Yeah. I think that those, the Scott that lives in the summer house and the Scott that died in Hoxbox is not the same Scott that went through Avengers versus X-Men through all of that stuff. I think that at some point the real Scott Summers is going to turn up Yep, because Scott has a lot of mental trauma Yeah, <laughs> and Cyclops in Hoxbox and in X-Men number one seems very together. Yes. And like, and Uncanny X-Men was the series that directly preceded Hoxbox. It's really, really good. And they killed off a load of major characters. And I think, obviously, they were given the green light to do that because they knew that Hickman was going to be bringing everyone back. Well, but I do think that Hickman might be smart enough to bring us a one-eyed Cyclops at some point in the future that is the original. Well, I mean, it's such a Hickman move, right? To bring, like, yeah. the, the master still shows up, or, or the maker, sorry, uh, still shows yeah. up from time to time, like if he, if he's bringing back characters like that, with any kind of regularity, you for sure, anyone is on the table. Like anyone, Mm -hmm. any, any X-Men character from the last 12 years is totally, I could see it happening. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, which, um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting stuff that I'm really, really, really excited for Marauders. That concept sounds fascinating to me um and i really 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 like the like where emma is at right now as a character she's possibly she and magneto i think are the two characters i'm most interested in seeing more of right now 
Um, obviously they're all great, but, um, they're the two that I'm kind of the most interested in. Um, and I, I don't know, like, I think you're totally right. I think that could be a thing or you could be totally right. Either way, I'm just excited to be along for the ride. I don't have like expectations for a specific thing, whatever direction. I have a lot of trust in where this is going to go. And I can't think of a situation where I would be disappointed or upset in the story directions that they go. Um, Like if it turns into a romantic comedy between the, those love triangles, then fine, whatever. I'm sure it'll be good. (laughs) Yeah. I'm into it. Um, Yeah. Like I don't, if it doesn't turn out that Scott is, you know, there is a real Scott out there somewhere. Like I'm totally fine with that. Um, I want to see a lot more Emma, as we said, I really am looking forward to seeing more um, Magneto um, my favorite X Men are like Emma, uh, Scott, and Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler mostly because he's just cool, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I like Jamie Madrox a lot as well. Um, I don't know what the situation is whether he's still alive because I think he was dead, but we'll see whether he comes back. I think everyone's yeah, coming back. Probably. I would. Just, I mean, yeah, that's the whole thing with the with the cloning shit, right? Like they'll they'll all be back at some point. Um, and and I think there's so many I like I want to see how um, Mystique interacts with this world more. Uh, yeah. I want to see how um, uh, how how Scarlet Witch interacts with this world more at some point. And these are all characters that we have to assume will be coming Around. and prevalent. Yeah. Um, and I'm also interested to see what the arcs of these books are like. I don't think we know right now. Maybe I'm just not up on it, but I don't think we know they're all ongoing series at this point. So yeah, they're all ongoing and, and there's no way that they're going to run six books for more than like a year. Right. Like that would be, especially since they're calling it Dawn of X. Like it just seems like if anything, cause so, there's also a Logan book launching next year. There's a Wolverine book yeah, launching is, in yeah. like Dan- January or February or something, which I would so ass- Sorry. usually roll between five and 10 books a month mm. um, across the whole line. Okay. So six seems normal, but okay. They'll have put a few of these out to die, so they will make these yeah. books knowing that some of them won't sell. Yeah. Um, Marauders, by the way, you're talking about it. Hickman says that's his favorite yes. out of the Dawn of X. That was originally Which, what made me, like, originally I was just going to go in for X-Men, and then I was going to get a Spider-Man Man, um, series and, like, Immortal Hulk, possibly. But in, I've decided instead to just read those, um, although I didn't know there was a J.J. Abrams uh, Spider-Man. I somehow missed that he was writing a uh, Spider-Man series. It is. It isn't great. No, that's we can too bad. Talk about it another week. It's fine. I, I I will probably read it because I like I love J.J. Abrams. Um, his that is, son is writing it. Oh, okay. So it's like him and his son doing Got a it. thing, a fun thing together. I'll probably enjoy reading it, but sound, but maybe not anticipate it as much. Um, the uh, but but then when I saw that the article where Hickman was sort of talking about the different books, I was just like, well, I'm just gonna get all six of these X-Men books and, and go from there. And if I want to add a Spider-Man or something, I will, but um, that sort of was my starting point. So, yeah, but we should probably move on to the other book we were going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, the Batman's grave. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of it? Um, I, I liked it. Shall I, shall I give a little preface on kind of what it's about? Real quick. Yeah, sure. I, I, I was not very, it, it definitely didn't make sense to me when I first, like, I didn't really know the premise. I think that's kind of important to understand. 
Yeah, I, I think the, the premise is that it's Warren Ellis is trying to write a true detective Batman story. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to do... I don't know whether there's going to be any supervillains or anything, nothing... I've not read up on it at all, apart from that he's trying to make it like a hard-boiled detective fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they're probably... Having read that first issue, there's a lot of really interesting interaction with Alfred... So I'm assuming that that's kind of part of it. Um, so kind of the, the the concept of the first issue is that Batman is um, he's called Alfred says, "Oh, there's somebody who's been trying to call nine one one for a few hours. Can you go have a look at it?" And they go uh, they go to this. He goes to this crime scene. He finds a dead body, and he like three D scans the room, and then he calls the cops, and he's like, "There's a body here," and he goes back to. Wayne Manor and starts investigating this crime through the 3D scanned environment mm-hmm. and kind of works out something kind of abnormal is going on. Yeah. Um, I don't really want to spoil the book because I think it was actually quite surprising and fun to read. Yeah, I agree. And the, yeah. the, the artwork as well. We didn't talk about the artwork in X-Men actually. Oh, uh, it's um, brilliant. I mean, Manil, it's, I don't have many thoughts on it other than it's just, it's excellent. I mean, it's good. It's, it's great art. Uh, there's some really, really striking panels in there. Um, I specifically love the way that they um, sort of animate uh, Scott's eye blasts um, and and yeah. the panels where he's just fired an eye blast. And then you can see sort of the like the the like energy kind of fade, bleeding off. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's great. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very good. Uh, they, yeah. they do a good job of um, I really, really like the way that uh, Gene is designed all around um, all the characters really, but Gene in particular um, is like, so it's like this weird, like throwbacky kind of costume that, that is, yeah, she's wearing her original costume. Yeah. Which is really cool. And, and um, I also think it's interesting that like she's um, just in general, the way that they sort of are drawing the characters and proportioning them is really, um, feels more real and more um, like it, it takes the focus. It puts the focus on like the action and the writing rather than um, the, and and like the art's amazing, but it puts focus on the action and the writing rather than like um, the characters, like constantly being in like standing together in poses kind of thing that you sometimes would get in older X-Men books. Um, so yeah, and it's, I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, and the, the art in the Batman's Grave is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Brian Hitch who did the original Ultimate back in the day, um, which if you haven't read, I would totally recommend. It's obviously very massively inspirational for the MCU. So the MCU Avengers movies are very uh, clearly based on um, the Ultimates. It's one of the first books that Jonathan Hickman ever wrote as well, which mm-hmm. um, he... He comes onto it after Hitch leaves, but um, you know the the second Ultimates book was delayed and took about four years to come out. I think because Brian Hitch put so much effort into drawing it, and it was such a huge undertaking. He put so much detail. What's, so I'm hoping that Batman's Grave doesn't get the same treatment. Yeah. What's interesting is that I think that the art in Batman's Grave. I haven't read a lot of Ultimates, but I've seen some of his work on that, which is phenomenal. But I almost think the art in Batman's Grave is even better. Um, it's. I think he's 
got better with time. Definitely. Yes. It's so good. I mean, there's just, I'm looking at it now and like the way he's drawing faces and close up panels is so good. Um, yeah. And then the wide shots, uh, are amazing. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's impressive stuff. Uh, Definitely. I'm, I'm assuming that digital is helping his workflow here because yeah, obviously probably. back in the Ultimates days, digital artwork would not have been accessible to a lot of comic artists. Right. So I think that that's probably helping him in some cases. You know, he's got a pre-drawn city he can throw Batman on top of, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's really nice. It's really smart. Um, uh, Batman talks a lot, I feel like, in this issue. There's a lot of talking. Um, I kind of hope that continues. Um, the thing that uh, I, the the like, I want to talk a little bit about like Batman as a character for me is he was kind of my first favorite superhero. Um, when I was a kid, like I read a lot of Batman. Um, I I watched uh, the animated series religiously. It's probably my second favorite uh, animated show after Gargoyles. Um, and Spider-Man's a close third behind that. But Batman is like Batman animated series is no question better than the Spider-Man animated series as much as I like both. Um, and yeah. but but as I kind of grew up, I started to get a little tired. I still adore every Batman film prior to um, Batman versus Superman, basically. Uh, but but uh, even the bad ones, I still really like a lot. Um, but uh I also kind of have started to develop this frustration with Batman where like he's the guy that beats up poor people, um, which I think is a pretty common feeling today of like what this character is just the rich dude that beats up these poor people who are trying to get by. And yes, they're committing crimes, but crime has such a different when I was like, when you're a kid, it's like, oh, the criminals are bad guys. Batman's a good guy. He's stopping the criminals. But as an adult, the context is like, well, why are they criminals? <laughs> is it because they're they can't survive because of a system that that is is harming them? And and how is Bruce Wayne contributing to that system? As a bajillionaire, he could maybe do better good by being a philanthropist than a crime fighter. Um, so anyway, Look, Pat, they have choices. <laughs> well, so that's the thing, right? Is this issue opens with classic Batman just beating the shit out of some people that are mad at cops. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not saying that I'm an advocate for just like finding police officers and killing them, of course. Um, but, you know, police, especially not two gay policemen, no, but a gay with police, their child policeman. with them uh, leaving a movie. Uh, I also think it's funny that they're clearly, they clearly went to go see it. Uh, <laughs> I, in my mind, I thought they went to see the Joker for like two two lines, and then I was. <laughs> I like, mean, it could be a reference oh, no, to that right? too. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, but anyway, the the it opens, and I kind of at first like let out a sigh because I was like, "Oh, we're gonna just do this," but it very quickly becomes clear that this is a con- a thing that they're grappling with in this series. And um, Alfred is a character that I've always really liked but he's always sort of been the like doting uncle kind of where he, he's a great character, but he never really questions. He questions Bruce's um, commitment, his motives, his, um, his ethics, uh, but he never really, his work ethic, but he never, in media, Batman media that I've consumed, and I'm sure that this has been a topic that they've covered before, but he's never really asked the question of like, 
are we doing the right thing? Um, yeah. And I appreciate in, in this book, he very pointedly asked that question and you get to see Al, Alfred, like he pointedly asked that question while he's drunk because he is so stressed out and can't handle the th- stuff. And I love the humanization of that character from being this sort of like emotional rock for Bruce to being more of a person who himself is stressed and frustrated with where they're at. Um, and and it's, it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, my favorite line in the book is one that's like really simple. And at the beginning, like Batman beats up those two guys and he looks at the, the detectives and he goes, Officer and Officer Wynn, Mr. Wynn, and he goes, Were you following us? And he goes, Just passing by. Perhaps yeah. you'll call an ambulance. Yes. Perhaps yeah. you'll call an ambulance is a great line. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested to see what's going on. I feel like those guys aren't throw away. I don't know why, but I feel like those two bold dudes at the beginning are going to somehow uh, be important. It was, it was more than just, yes, I think you're right, because it's more than just, um, they appeared as more than just like, Oh, we're skinheads that want to kill cops. There was, seemed like there was a deeper, there was a reason why they were going off for those two specifically. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe it's a hate crime situation. Maybe it's a, a conspiracy, but either way, I think that that does seem like something that they're going to revisit. Um, and and mm-hmm. I won't be disappointed if, if they choose not to, but I think it would be interesting to, to do that. Uh, but yeah. ultimately I, I do hope that the, the, the book maintains the detective story thing and focuses less on action and violence and is more about his investigative work. Because I think that is Batman at its best. And so few, I mean, there is certainly great Batman that is action stories. Um, I really, the Nolan Batman films are some of my favorite movies. So uh, I think that there's not much detective work going on. No, exactly. But, um, but at the same time, I think that detective Batman, I think, if anything, it, it makes me think more of the of um, the Arkham games, um, which yeah. the I have never been able to get through Arkham City kind of not that there's no detective work in that, but because Asylum to me, the first one felt like the detective work was as present and important as the combat stuff. And that's why I love that game so much. And yeah. I actually think it's a better game than City because City kind of starts to go more in the open world action game direction. Um, and there's still plenty of, t- of stuff. I actually do need to go. I kind of want to go back and play all three of them because they are, it's still good and I should still play them. But I loved the, the 3d scan thing just seemed like something right out of a really good um, video game adaptation of that character, like something you would do. And they actually wrote it in a compelling way, um, which was cool. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. I think that this is out of continuity. Um, I'll say now because there's some crazy stuff happening in the current Batman book. Well, and if anything, it's good that it's out of continuity, I think, because for people like me, um, like I really, in, I, I am enjoying this. And if anything, I assume it's going to be a fairly limited series. I don't know what the, if they have an issue. One of count 12. For it. Yeah. Okay. They said um, 12. I could totally see, I might even add this to my pull list. We'll see. Um, and and sort of read it along in physical copies. At the very least, I'll keep reading it digitally. Um, and uh, when it's done, I could totally see it as a jumping on point to get into at least a DC book alongside the Marvel ones that I'm reading because it's 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 really yeah. really good. 
Well, they're um, the as a complete side sidebar. They're relaunching Batman next year, I think, fairly early next year. Mm-hmm. And the um, uh, the guy he's writing in the first time a queer writer has written the main Batman book. That's great. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and he's also a huge Tim Drake fan. I can't oh, remember that's his cool. Name now James something. Uh... Uh, James 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 Tinney and the Fourth. Oh, okay. He's he's writing it, um, and yeah, he's a huge Tim Drake fan. I'm a huge Tim Drake fan. My favorite Robin. So um, I'm really excited for what he's going to do. Cool. And he wrote the best. He probably wrote one of the best runs of a Batman book a few years ago. So he wrote 30 issues of Detective Comics, and in that Detective, it was um, Batman setting up a team. So um, it was uh, Batman, Batwoman, Tim, Steph. Um, and uh, Clayface and Cassandra, uh, Cassandra Kane. The so it was like kind of these char- bat characters that hadn't been well used, and obviously Clayface having been a villain for years. Right. Um, it's just really interesting the way that they handled the whole book. Um, I'd really recommend that. It's a solid thirty issue self continued thing. Cool. Self continued, self contained. Um, one of the main villains is. Uh, like sem- this is a semi-spoiler, but I'll tell it to you now because I don't know whether we'll it's ever fine. get to read yeah, it. Right. This will probably either make you want to read it or make you lose interest. <laughs> but one of the main villains of that book is a future Tim Drake huh. who has become Batman and is uh, so depressed that he has come back in time to stop himself from becoming Batman. That's interesting. Yeah, that's that's a cool uh, concept. Uh, it's really well written. It's really fun. Future Tim Drake's been in a few things as Batman before. Yeah. Um, and he carries a gun and he will just kill villains. Mm-hmm. So, cause of something very traumatic happens to him between now and becoming Batman. Um, and it's a super interesting character, I think. And he's, he's written really well. So yeah, that guy, James Tinney in the fourth is writing Batman starting next year. Very cool. Taking over from Tom King, the guy who wrote the vision that we read a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And his, his Batman run is very good. Will at some point I will, will try and make you read the double date issue of Batman where he goes on a double date with Lois and Clark. Um, and they go to the fair on superhero day and, um, the Lois and Clark are for, uh, sorry, Clark and Bruce are forced to swap costumes <laughs> because otherwise it, it would be too obvious that they're Superman and Batman. That's very funny. I did see um, that, uh, a new story that's the, that was talking about how, um, Clark is going to drop the secret identity soon. Like they're, they're in Superman They're He's, they're going to reveal his identity and he's like, the story I saw was like the revealing his identity I feel like that sucks. and, and he's never, and it's never coming back. This isn't a, this isn't a temporary thing from now on. Spy, Spider-Man Superman is going to just be known to everyone. Uh, which I think is a kind of a interesting, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm reading those books, but I don't think that they're that great. I'm reading action and Superman. I'm months behind on action. Um, like, Basically, one of the coolest things about the, the current Superman run is that he has a son and like a 12 year old kid, same age as Damien, who has who's his and Lois's you know, like biological child. And um, he's basically being a dad and teaching John how to be a hero and how to be a, a person. Um, so 
it's super, super interesting. And then the first thing that the new writer does is send the kid away. Like, the main thrust of why I like that book, send him away. Yeah. And then, like, five issues later, bring him back, having aged him by five or ten years. So he's now an adult. Okay. It's like, this is just not interesting. Like, don't give us more adult super people. We have Connor, we have Kara, we have Clark. Like, it's just stupid. Um, and now they're sending him off again to be in the Legion of Superheroes. So, whatever. I give up. <laughs> well, either way, um, Batman's Grave is good. And if you, like yes. me, are a lapsed Batman fan, you should definitely give it a look. <laughs> yeah. I would really recommend Tom King's Batman Run. You have to read every single issue and you have to start um, like 70 something issues ago. But um, it's worth it. It's a the whole thing is like a psychological exploration of what it means to be Batman. Um, as you may know, Tom King loves to write very deep psychological books about PTSD mm-hmm. and other stuff like that. Um, his Mister Miracle book was basically all about how Scott has PTSD, and um, it kind of starts with him having a failed suicide attempt, and then goes on from there. So. It's an insane book that is totally worth reading. Um, And he doesn't go as far with Batman because you can't, because Batman has to be in the JLA and stuff. Yeah. But um, there has been some serious emotional stuff going on. And he's also brought in some really interesting characters that you don't think of. So obviously, this is the run where he's been uh, engaged to marry Catwoman. And one of the main antagonists is Thomas Wayne from Flashpoint, the... Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas Wayne, who became Batman. Right. Um, and he is kind of one of the, kind of one of the main antagonists. Really interesting storyline. Yeah. Cool. Well, there's some extra Batman for you. Uh, yeah. If you want to read Batman, Tom King's Batman is very good. You can read, you can read a few, I I can put out some issue recommendations on Twitter. Uh, if you want to read a few single issues to get a flavor. I'm I'm getting most of my Batman fix from being riveted by season one of Arrow right now, and we're oh that show's good. <laughs> very very excited that there's like another six seasons because uh, season one's wrapping up, and both my partner and I are like completely hooked. We watched I think nine episodes yesterday. <laughs> like I put it on. We ate an early dinner at like four thirty. I put the show on, and then it just auto played until about 11 o'clock when we went to bed. Uh, and so I specifically the, the played thing... boring games so that I could pay attention and just play builds. I played city skylines for like two hours so I could just like pay attention to the show. <laughs> the best thing for you is that arrow season two is way better than arrow season one. Like it's astronomically better. I did notice there's a, a, a scene in season one that is extremely funny um, when you're first being introduced to Helena, um, there's a scene where they come upstairs and clearly the room audio, like when they filmed it, the audio was bad. So they dubbed over um, Bertinelli. Is that his name? The 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 the, yeah. the dad, the bad, the, the the gangster. They had to redub his voice. And I don't even know if it was the same actor that they used to dub his voice. It sounds like if you or I read the lines and tried to read it to his lips moving. <laughs> it was really funny. We were like, what is going on? <laughs> That's the only dip Wait. in production quality in the entire show so far, but it is very funny. My, t- all, my, my like multiple favorite things 
from um, Arrow are early seasons. Basically, anytime there is a character who has a secret identity, it turns out to be Malcolm Merlin. Um, <laughs> in season one, there are three reveals of characters. So there's the reveal that Malcolm is uh, Tommy's dad. Yes. There's the reveal that Malcolm is behind some crazy shit. Mm-hmm. And then you you're, you guys are near the end of the season, aren't you? We're in episode 19. So, yeah. So there's the reveal that he's the Dark Archer. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was a while ago. Yeah. There's basically three reveals in season one. Yeah. There's three mysteries, and all of them are Malcolm well, Berlin. And I love the first time they even introduce him when you don't even know that he's Tommy's dad and that he's that he's Malcolm Merlin. They still treat it as a reveal when Moira's sitting in yep. the backseat of the limo with him because, like, I guess they're just excited that they got John Barrowman, I guess. Uh, so they yeah. just sort of, like, pan the camera over to him, and it's like the music swells and stuff, and it's like... I know who John Barrowman is because I'm a fan of John Barrowman, but <laughs> like the music swells as if it's just like, and it's actually this guy. <laughs> and it like goes, there's a really good arc much, much later on in the uh, Legends of Tomorrow where it's like all the best villains from Arrow and Flash team up to fight the Legends. And John Barrowman is in it. But like one of the other characters is just like an absolute over the top panto villain. And he's incredible. He's super evil. He's like no remorse. And him and John Barrowman together with the third one of the other characters. Oh, it's incredible. That's good. So much fun. I'm very excited to see how my partner reacts. Like we're both really, really enjoying it. But thus far in the show, there's not been any super powered characters at all. Um, Yeah. So I'm really interested to see if she and if I still enjoy it once they start introducing characters with superpowers, um, because they introduce that real slowly. Yeah, which is good, because I think for her, like she doesn't really have an interest in Marvel movies at all. uh, And she's just never been a huge superhero person. And I think it's just because that sort of like super powered people fighting in space and stuff is just not really as appealing for her. She much prefers the sort of ground level characters. Um, and so it's, it's, I think it'll be interesting to see um, if, if she takes to the other shows and if she takes to like the way they continue to introduce people. Um, but uh, so yeah. arrow arrow stays grounded, like very grounded the whole time. Um, there's only a couple of, like major antagonists that aren't just very skilled fighting people, mm-hmm. um, which is really good for that show. Yeah. It's genuinely and obviously a good choice. Um, Flash, um, Flash has a villain problem after season one. So Flash season one is awesome. Flash season two is is good, but like for the first like two three years, they basically reuse the same villain type. Yeah. Um, and it's not super exciting. Um, season four, they have a big uptick and it's much more interesting. Yeah, I'm most um, interested to see Flash. I'm pretty positive that I'll like Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow when those roll around because I like those characters. Flash is probably my least favorite DC character. Um, you'll have to stick with Legends of Tomorrow because season one is fucking terrible. Okay, good it's to know. One of the worst Set shows I have to watch. Uh, but uh, but I, I've always found Flash to be like dreadfully boring for me personally. I'm not trying to. 
be critical of the show or of the character necessarily, but I'm never, um, I couldn't even name a flash villain to you right now. There's, I can't even, I mean, Captain Cold, the mirror master, Captain Boomerang. <laughs> Boomerang, I actually do know who that is. Uh, but but uh, yeah, the I just... The first Arrow and Flash crossover, they fight Captain Boomerang, and it's very good. Cool. Yeah, so I'm interested to see... Uh, oh to no, s- I've lost Pat. Oh, no, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. There we go. Oh, I lost you, you're back. Good. Yeah, uh, yeah so I'm interested to see how that uh, how I take to that show myself, because... Um, I want to watch it because I'm invested now in uh, enough in Arrow that I'll get through it, even if I don't like it. But uh, but their relationship between Oliver and Barry is really good. Cool. Really, really good. They have a Batman Superman relationship, essentially. And ultimately, Um, I really like the um, another friend of mine was saying that they kind of make Flash do more stuff than run fast. Uh, in in the the, the, the Arrowverse, um, not yeah. not necessarily that he has like a huge scope of powers or anything, but um, that it's more than just him running fast, uh, which is good because I find that boring. Uh, it does yeah. help that there's it's a universe without Superman. I know that Superman I mean, eventually is a thing, but it helps that early on it's a universe without Superman because that's my biggest complaint with Flash is literally any problem that you need Flash to solve. And this is not true. I know that there are instances where he can run faster than Superman and stuff. I get it. But like from a layman's perspective, just thinking about the characters relatively, like pretty much any problem that Flash could solve, there are a multitude of other heroes that could do it and still do other stuff, too. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. There's two really cool Flash things that like whenever I think about how cool I think the Flash is, I'll go back to these two scenes from Jeff John's run. So first one is there's a villain who is basically Magneto and she explodes a huge suspension bridge full of cars, full of people. And Flash just turns around and runs the opposite way. He runs all the way to the library, speed reads books on engineering, runs back, rebuilds the bridge, welding it together with friction. And he actually rebuilds it better and stronger than it was before. And then he beats the villain. That's very funny. And like, it's really funny. It's really well done. And she's like, ha ha. <laughs> um, that's, that's good. But also silly you, <laughs> in a way that I, I still am like, I still look at that and I'm like, well, but Superman can still handle that situation better. So like, I guess Superman was busy. There's a really good Superman interaction with flash where, so flash has a public identity for the majority of Jeff Johns's run. Mm-hmm. So everyone knows that he's Wally West and basically when Barry dies, Wally's like, I want them to be able to memorialize Barry. So he has to make his identity public in order for them to make memorials and stuff. Yeah. And um, so he comes out as Flash and then something happens and he ha- has to ask the Spectre to put it back in the bottle, basically. And then nobody who he hasn't shown himself unmasking to um, knows that he's Flash. Mm-hmm. And Superman is like, why don't we know who you are? This is you know, this is fucked up. We're really upset about this. And Wally's like, I need to deal with my personal trauma that I'm undergoing at the moment. And he like runs off and Superman's like, not, not without me. And like flies after him and flashes like, I don't want to talk. And he goes, I don't want to do this. And Superman's like, what? And he just taps him on the shoulder and he takes his speed. And Superman just hits the deck like a boulder, like completely no ability to go fast. 
can't yeah. run, can't fly fast, and like Flash just takes off. And like that's cool things that he can do is because of the speed force, he can take other people's speed, he can give speed. And that makes him more interesting um, as a character than than the the like classical Flash that I'm familiar with from watching Justice yeah. League shows as a kid, which is just like he runs really fucking fast. <laughs> like yeah. he can run on water and up buildings. He can vibrate his molecules to go through solid objects. And that's cool. There's yeah. lots of cool stuff going on. Yeah. But anyway, while we're kind of we're on our topic of the show, I guess, we're talking about comic characters that we love, yeah. our history. Um so uh, why don't you start? Because I've been talking a lot the last like five yeah, minutes. Uh, um, so I have um, kind of an in and out relationship. I I like uh, when I was a kid, my dad is a really big Batman fan, so he kind of introduced me to those characters through the uh, the films. Um, I'm in my late twenties, so uh, to me, like the, there were really great Batman films ready to go um, when I was of of an age to start watching them. Uh, And then I also watched uh, the Batman animated series pretty religiously. I've seen every episode like a couple of times. Um, And uh, that simultaneously, like as a kid, I was really into Spider-Man as well. Um, I will say now like Spider-Man's generally my favorite superhero, but, um, but back then it was definitely Batman. Um, and uh, I read a fair bit of Batman when I was a kid that my dad would get. And then also read uh, I got into reading Spider-Man um, when Ultimate Spider-Man started, I want to say. I can't remember when that initially was published, but I had a, a big omnibus. So it wasn't right when it started, but it was within a year or two of when they had started like collecting issues into larger trades. Um, it was a really nice, like hardcover trade, uh, that had the whole first arc of the, that book. Um, so, uh, then I was really into, um, X-Men movies, Spider-Man movies, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man movies, all that stuff. Um, and, uh, then I got, I got really into Iron Man before, the MCU started because it was announced that he was coming and I always thought he was a really cool character, but I never really read much about him. So kind of picked up some, some Tony Stark knowledge and then um, MCU movies started coming out and it was, I saw all of them in theaters pretty religiously until um, Thor Ragnarok. And I started to, at this point I hadn't been reading comics for a while. I stopped reading comics when I was like, when did Iron Man came out in 2009, I think eight, eight. So 2008. So I stopped reading comics around when that came out um, and then just kind of didn't go back uh, to reading them and sort of used the MCU as a, as a, as a substitute and then got really fatigued on superheroes for like as those movies were coming out until um, finally, I'll never forget the moment where we were planning to go see um, Thor Ragnarok. uh, And I think it was a midnight showing. And um, my roommate came into the room and was like, we're getting ready to go. Why aren't you ready to go? And I was like, I'm skipping this one. I'm just not interested. And everyone was just shocked that I didn't go to see that movie. Um, And I picked like the worst time to not see one because that is actually one of my favorite MCU (laughs) movies in retrospect. Um, But I eventually did kind of get back on board uh, and watched the stuff that I had missed. And um, 
then uh, sort of the the when I found out that the X-Men were relaunching, I was kind of in a place to want to read comics again. I had been an on and off Marvel Unlimited subscriber for a bit. And uh, then you recommended to me reading through. I had heard that Hickman was a really good writer and you recommended reading um, a whole track of stuff, uh, everything that he wrote um, from his uh, really early um, Secret Warriors run uh, that and then all the way through Secret Wars. Um, And it was a really like really, really enjoyable. Like it was, it's, it's, it, I took a break for like a month or so at one point, but then kind of pretty quickly devoured all that stuff and, uh, kind of got back on board and have since really enjoyed. I used to just enjoy reading the, the parts of comic books. Like one of the things that got me off of comic books was reading Batman, no man's land, but the novel, not the, uh, the comic. And I own that novel and I love it. It's phenomenal. It's a great book. <laughs> But, but what, what it, I started to, to go like, I love this. I don't care that it's missing the art. I should read more books. (laughs) Um, and, um, No Man's Land is actually a way better novel than a graphic novel as well. Um, I used to own both and it is way better. But, uh, but, but kind of as an adult now, I'm much more interested in, like, I appreciate the art a lot more. I appreciate the whole package i used to also yeah. part of it was it was a was honestly an economics thing too when i started when i was at the age when i was going to have to buy my own comic books i started going well like i can read a comic book in like 20 minutes at most yeah and i do i i could spend five dollars and at the bookstore and get a thousand page sci-fi novel and read that for the next month or i could spend five dollars and get a, a issue one of a comic book and read it for half an hour but now I have much more interest in having them for to, to look back at and um, having them from a, cause I don't have a lot of like, I have a lot of things that I purchase a lot of, like I have a lot of board games and stuff like that, but I don't really think of them as collections. And I'm not yeah. saying that I want to start like going back and buying old issues of comic books necessarily. I'm not there yet, but um but I'm interested in kind of curating a, a collection of books um, that um, will not grow beyond the means that I have to store it. But uh, but but it's 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 enjoyable to me now. And and the the monetary cost of them is much more like it's not that bad to me anymore, um, especially because the way you, the fact that you get digital books now makes it so easy to just with Marvel anyway. It's just so great that you can just like put the code in and then I can put the book in a tuck box. And, uh, and if I ever want to give it to somebody, I can, or if I want to keep it forever, I can, whatever, but I can always just pull it up if I need to reference something or want to look at it, um, on a phone or whatever. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so I'm pretty, pretty well back in. I only have six issues that I'm, or six books that I'm, uh, subscribed to right now, but I'm, uh, I will probably never give up my Marvel unlimited. Um, I'm reading through Avengers versus X-Men right now. And, kind of planning on continuing to read through the major events from there up to now, um, as, uh, as time goes on. Um, and, uh, I'm really enjoying it. The X, the X books were really interesting after Avengers versus X-Men. Um, as you may be able to tell from what's going on, Scott does not come out the other side unscathed. Right. Um, there's some really interesting stuff going on with him, which is totally worth reading. Um, yeah, in terms of my background, so I think 
many, many... Yeah, like, when we first started Gaming Fix, me and Erica were doing... Uh, we were going to do a comic book fix, and we were going to do it weekly, which was not tenable for both either of us. No, um, yeah. But our opening episode got lost. The recording died somehow and just never got put out. But... um I think that we worked out that my first comic was older than Erica. Um, <laughs> the first comic that I bought. Um, so I vividly remember this comic, which was, uh, it was Daredevil was the first comic I ever bought with my own money. Um, and it was a Daredevil book where he fought a villain called the eel. And I think it was from 92, 93. And it was way too old for me rereading it now. Like I was, would have been like six. Uh, um, it was a way too old a book, um, but I kind of that was one of the first my first interactions with comics, and then so I was buying graphic novels. Anytime I went to a bookshop in the UK, I was buying graphic novels. I didn't really know that comic book shops existed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're way less prevalent here than they are in the US. They're they're very much like specialty stores. They're very hobbyist stores. Um, and so I was buying graphic novels and I was buying, I was buying them as and when they came out. So I had like a, I had a collection book that was Spider-Man's greatest villains and it was the best stories about Spider-Man's main antagonists. So like the best Vulture story, the best Doc Ock story, best Venom story, best Green Goblin story. Um, I had um, death. Of, I had the return of Superman, not the death of Superman. But honestly, I didn't need to read The Death of Superman, having now read it. Like, all I need to know that he was dead. Yeah. Um, and so I had all of these, I had all these kind of, I used to buy like a lot of events and things like that. Um, and then when I was around, so I can't remember how old I would have been, because it was 2000, I think, the Ultimate Spider-Man line started. And I bought issue two. So I missed issue one, but I bought issue two and three the same day. Um, and so I had both of those. And I found, managed to get issue one later. Um, I eventually sold my one to 20 in single issues of Ultimate Spider-Man for about £500. So good investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing uh, is, they cost me £40 in total, I think, at the time. But um, yeah, so I had I, I started reading with Ultimate Spider-Man, and then I kind of pushed out from there. So I read every Ultimate book. Um, I, the first, God knows how many years of Ultimate, I read everything, and then I switched over to the main Marvel universe when the Ultimate stuff started to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I switched over to the main Marvel universe. Um, I'd been reading Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, on and off throughout my teenage years, I would buy like six or seven months worth and then I wouldn't have enough money and I wouldn't get anything. Um, so my, my collection has loads of holes. Um, but yeah, I started seriously collecting comics when I graduated university. So whilst at uni, I collected as much as I could with basically no money. Um, and digital comics just weren't a thing. Like I couldn't, I couldn't illegally download comics because I didn't know that that was a thing that existed, and I don't even know if it did. Um, then when I graduated, um, I did. I found out that you could illegally download comics, and that was the way I read all of these classic storylines. So I read everything, like every classic storyline from like the 90s and 2000s. And then I started collecting graphic novels, because um, I was like, oh, single issue is too much 
hassle to store. Little did I realize that you needed bookshelves if you had graphic novels, and that was a heavy and expensive pursuit. <laughs> yeah. um, I now own, ever since earlier this year I did a clear out, I now own, I would say, probably 30 graphic novels, and that's it in total, which is a pretty big clear out from, I probably was at one point around two, 300. Um, and in terms of comics, at one point I had 10,000 single issues. Wow. Um, yeah, so now I have about th- about three to 500 probably. I've not counted them since I did my big sell-off. Um, I made quite a lot of money on the sell-off, which was really nice. That kind of bought some nice stuff for our house. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have to move house with those comics anymore, but I had a full car load of comics wow. in a large sized car. That's wild. That was the, that filled a car basically. Yeah. I'm not, um, I don't have the room to get to there. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, I, I have some closet either. space in a book or a box. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've never had the room to get to there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, um, my, I, I'll talk a little bit about my favorites. So, Jonathan Hickman, huge, huge. I, I think he's the best writer currently writing comics. Um, closely followed by Tom King. Um, Jonathan Hickman, a huge, huge favorite of mine. I love high concept sci-fi stuff, and that's all he does. Yep. So brilliant. Also, his character moments are really good. I love, like, for example, in issue one of Hoxbox, the interaction between Scott and the Fantastic Four. Um, very clear choice by Hickman from using those characters. Yep. Because of his history um, with them, too. Yeah, and how well he knows those characters, yep. how well he's written them. Um, talking about Flash, um, the only one of the only runs that I still have every graphic novel for, I have more Flash graphic novels than any other character. Because I have, I'm looking at them now, my whole collection. I have, I think, about 10 or 11. I have the whole Jeff Johns run in graphic novel, um, including a couple of them that are extremely super rare and uh, out of print that um, my uh, my ex-girlfriend from when I was about 20 bought me. And she was like, I won't tell you how much these were, but they were too much for <laughs> what these are. <laughs> um, I really enjoy them. I love those books. Um, the Jeff Johns run on Flash is where he cut his teeth on superhero comics, and you can tell that he... The reason why he is now basically in charge of DC... Um, well, he's head creative officer for DC, so he he is the guy who says yes or no when people want to do stuff. Um, he's the guy who leads the writers' retreats, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, and I also met Jeff Johns a few years ago when he came to the UK for a comic show, which was really cool. Um, yeah, so characters I love. Spider Man is my first love. Will always be. I've read um, every issue of Amazing Spider Man since so I read the first like hmm, I I read probably the first 20 years on Marvel Unlimited so from 62 when he debuted to around 82 so not a few about a few years before I was born and then when I started seriously collecting Amazing Spider-Man I was collecting that in trade that was the Straczynski run, which I believe was early 2000s, maybe late 90s. Um, and I've read every issue from there. So we're probably coming up on me having read like 40 years worth of Spider-Man at this point. Wow. Um, 
it's a lot easier to do when you're up to date and you just read week to week. <laughs> um, the current Spider-Man run is great. I think we've talked about this before. It's written by Nick Spencer, who um, I have never been a huge fan of, um, but I'm really enjoying his book. Um, uh, he has got Peter and MJ back together, which I think Spider-Man's more interesting when he's single. Personally, I, I, I don't know why. Um but um, I can see that. Yeah. I don't know. I like the character. The, my biggest problem as a reader and media consumer of anything that is ongoing is um, I like the characters to be happy, but that's also does not breed like interesting stories very well. So uh, yeah. whenever it's up to me, I'd always be like, no, they should be together because they're great together. Um, but uh, uh at the same time, um, I, I accept that that there it's not the most interesting setup necessarily. Yeah, Dan Slot wrote. Um, God knows, I think he said at one point he'd written like three hundred issues of Spider Man or something. That was his whole run, and I just wanted him to write it forever. I, I said so to him in person when I met him once. I said, "I want you to write Spider Man forever. I really <laughs> don't want you to stop." Uh, and then six months later, he announced he was quitting writing Spider Man. So obviously that's my fault. Yeah, he quit because of you. Some crazy kid. Yeah. I'm not even, I'm not saying you he's, were actually um, a kid. He's fun. <laughs> no, I was, uh, it was two years ago. Um, <laughs> Look at this crazy kid I met in the UK. Yeah. He's writing Fantastic Four and Iron Man now, and both of those books are actually pretty good. Um, I, I'm still sad that he doesn't write Spider-Man. I think that he had a really, really incredible arc he wrote Superior Spider-Man, where um, Doc Ock took over. Um, he wrote so many amazing storylines yeah. that, like, it's a struggle to name them all. They were that good. Um, yeah, and it's you know um, the changeover to Nick Spencer was a little hard for me because obviously I've been reading that writer for so many years. Yeah. Um, God, I mean that writer took over. He was writing Spider-Man as part of a team when that book was weekly in 2010, maybe. So I've been reading that him for nine years, writing Spider-Man. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Spider-Man, amazing. Um, I have so little history with X-Men. Um, so that's been really interesting. I've, I know all the characters cause I've read bits, mm -hmm. but I haven't, deep dived sure. like I am now uh, Batman again uh, everybody loves Batman I think it's hard to love comics and not love Batman he's one of the most interesting characters in the game Daredevil I love Daredevil um, I like Daredevil a lot too new Daredevil the new Daredevil book is fucking fantastic yeah um, it's such a good read there was an insane cliffhanger ending in the latest issue that I can't wait to talk about I, um, I will be definitely reading that book as it hits uh, Marvel Unlimited, like without question. I don't know that I'm going to get the physical, like that I'm going to get no. it up to date, but we'll see. Daredevil doesn't always cross over a lot, so you can usually read it without reading anything else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Daredevil. I actually think that's probably probably like two or three issues now will be on Marvel Unlimited. Um, if I read stuff. those and really really love them, I might pick up digital copies like buy the digital copies to get up yeah. to date i don't think i'm going to get the put it on my pull list but um but yeah yeah um 
Yeah, a couple of other things. So one last bit. I love legacy heroes. So anytime somebody takes over for another character, that is incredibly my jam. Like my favorite character, some of my favorite characters are like Wally West and um, Bucky Barnes. Uh, the Bucky Barnes Captain America run is one of the best comic runs of all time, hands down. Um, yeah, um, I read so much, so 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 too many comics at the moment. I'll real quickly scroll through my reading list. Um, what are we? How many am I? I'm at fifty-seven titles. Obviously, some of those are legacy books that have finished. Um, I'm reading. X-Men, Young Justice, just picked up Venom, which I'm really enjoying, and I don't like that character, so that's a big surprise. Um, Amazing Spider-Man, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, which is very funny. Um, Superman, Superior Spider-Man, multiple books with Spider-Man in. (laughs) Nightwing. Uh, Nightwing has been the rod for my back for the last, like, year, because they, the character got shot in the head and lost his memory. And decided to start calling himself Rick Grayson instead of Dick Grayson. And he refuses to wear a costume and he's just terrible. Like, <laughs> it's been so bad. I've read it every month hoping they fix it and they just don't. Um, yeah, I think I've rambled on long enough about comic books. We can maybe talk about history of specific characters in future. Yeah. Um, the one other thing that I was going to say is. Is there anything that you would recommend to our dear listeners? Well, um, I think that uh, we we did end up getting a couple of quick questions on Twitter when we when you put out the call for questions. Um, uh, I have Twitter notifications off. Um, so um, we received two questions, and I think it dovetails a little bit into what the question that you just asked. One of them, the first one. That is, uh, I think, a pretty interesting conversation, but we can answer it quickly, is from uh, a At Fix Podcasts, um, it appears. I'm not sure which of our yeah. uh, compatriots asked this question, but the, the question was, who would win in a fight, Goku or Superman? Um, I would have to imagine that I, I feel like Goku would probably win, but that it's not a fair fight because the the rules of those two universes are so different and also i would hope that superman would win because goku would end up just like destroying the earth so (laughs) so superman would win the first fight but superman has only ever killed general zod right so he wouldn't kill goku because he's not a bad guy so goku would be beaten by superman and by the rules of his fictional universe, then be able to beat Superman. Exactly. And he so, probably would throw the moon into the earth, which is not ideal. Um, Cause like in, no. in the dragon ball universe, you can do horrific, reckless damage to an entire planet and it's still fine afterwards, which is not exactly yeah. the way that it's comic books. Definitely kind of brush under the rug, the huge damage done to cities occasionally. But uh, I don't think you could throw the moon into the earth in the DC universe and have it be okay. So I would be rooting for Superman, yeah. even if uh, I think that he would ultimately fail. Um, also, Goku would just collect the yeah. Dragon Balls. Since Superman won't kill Goku, they don't need to collect the Dragon Balls to bring Goku back to life. So 
um, what would happen is Goku would lose and then he would collect the Dragon Balls and ask Shenlong how to beat Superman. And then he would give him some kryptonite and then he would like infuse his his uh, Kamehameha with kryptonite and that would kill Superman. Because Goku yeah. kills people and doesn't have any remorse about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other question we got is from my, my buddy Jim. And it's a genuinely great question that I think we should probably have as a yeah. topic of the show in future. And um, so he asks, do you find it hard to stay invested with constant relaunches of various series? And 100% it's hard to stay invested. Um, the way that I pick comics is I follow writers not characters as much. There are a few characters, like, I will read Amazing Spider-Man unless it is terrible. I will read that book because it's the one that Marvel puts the most effort into. Um, sure. Hands down every month. But I don't... Um, so, for example, when uh, Hickman left Fantastic Four, I stopped reading that book. Um, and when uh, when Matt Fraction left Iron Man, I stopped reading that book. Um, I do... I read books based on the writer first and foremost. Sometimes if I'm interested enough in the character, I'll give it a shot. Um, But yeah, there's mostly writers that I follow around. So constant relaunches are upsetting in some ways. So like Scott Snyder's Batman run got separated into like six number ones, which is really frustrating for anyone trying to keep track of it and trying to read it. Um. And I think the frustrating thing about relaunches from someone who's just now getting back in is um, from what I'm observing, it seems like they relaunch books when they need a shot in the arm, um, like financially Mm. or when they're when they want a shot in the arm financially. And that's kind of frustrating because it feels like fake somehow, like, oh, this isn't really a new jumping on point. It is just you're getting people like me who think because it's an issue one, it's going to be a jumping on point. So um what I would say from my kind of going back and reading stuff, the first thing you have to do if you're getting back into comics is you have to get over the fact that you're not going to know everything, which is really hard for me to, to accept. I'm someone who wants to like, like when I last year, when I started reading comics again, I started reading Spider-Man from amazing fantasy 15. Like that was like, And then I was like, I'm going to read every Spider-Man book and it's going to take me 10 years. But one day I'll be caught up to current Spider-Man and I can read Spider-Man. And I mean, I enjoyed reading a lot of those books. I read like three or four years of Spider-Man books, which back then the books were thicker. So that was not as it's it's (laughs) it's not as fast to read through a year of them as it is now. Um, But uh, but the um, the thing I would say is you, you should just get over it and pick a. You know, if you have a friend who's into comics, they can recommend it a a, a jumping on point or also um, comicbookorders.com or comicbookreadingorders.com. It's a really great resource that you can search by event and they have some good guides for like, hey, if you want to get into modern Marvel, here's how here's where you should start kind of thing. Um, and when you put that together with Marvel Unlimited, it really makes it easier to get back in. And it sort of quells that like constant relaunch issue because um it doesn't you stop seeing the issue numbers and more see the arcs um, and the storylines. And then you can kind of go branch out backwards and forwards and like find interesting stuff to read, but you kind of have to give up on the notion of I'm going to follow this book from start to finish kind of thing. I would definitely agree with that. 
Um, I was just looking up a, a recommendation for you, actually, uh, which um, I will maybe give you when you have some more free time. <laughs> uh, but the, basically, there's a character in X-Men, which you probably don't recognize, called Vulcan, the third Summer's brother. Yeah, I've heard of him before, but I don't have a specific image of like his past and what he does in my mind. I knew that he was a Summer's brother, but I don't know much else about him. He was raised in space, and he's basically Superman power level. He can fly um, through space without spacesuit or spaceship mm-hmm. at like light speed. He's crazy powerful. I have no idea how Hickman's going to use him, but I'm super excited. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think to answer Jim's question, I certainly even somebody who is really really plugged into comics because like I follow comics news sites. I listen to a weekly comics podcast called Capes and Japes. Highly recommended. Everyone should be listening to that. Um, don't stop listening to us yet, but you should <laughs> listen to them instead of us, probably, um, as we're just two cis white dudes uh, talking about comics, um, whereas Capes and Japes is uh, kind of a different viewpoint than you're probably getting anywhere else. Um, I'm a patron of theirs. I think they're fantastic. Um but yeah, so um, I read a lot of comics, and I totally do. I get the struggle um, with the relaunches because it affect. I'm the same. Um, when I'm trying to read something, and like, oh, I was really into Green Lantern two years ago. What's going on now? Oh, there's been three relaunches since then. You know, it's it's a real struggle. Um, the best thing to do is uh, find a writer you like, and if they write a character you like, go for it. Yeah. Uh, and and don't worry too much about issue numbers. Um, the of course the thing to keep in mind is uh, if you are going to collect any physical comics, issue ones tend to be worth more money than than other stuff. Yeah. Um, mileage may vary depending on the series, and obviously, but like issue twos often are worth a lot because they don't print as many issues yeah, as issue that makes ones. Sense. Um. But yeah, so next month, and um, things I'm looking forward to. Um, I'm super interested in Excalibur number one. Yes, same. Yeah, um, because I love Captain Britain. Captain Britain is one of the the Alan Moore Captain Britain run is one of the thirty comics I've kept. Uh, in graphic, that level. is one of the ones I think before Excalibur comes out. I'm going to kind of jump out of my normal reading order because I know nothing about Captain Britain. Um, and the ways in which Hickman used him in the lead up to Secret Wars was very interesting and I had no idea who that character was. That was the first time I had ever seen him. Um, yeah. And so uh, it, I'm definitely intrigued to go back and read some, cause like the way that if you don't know who that character is and then he's introduced in secret wars and you think, Oh, he, they just need him cause they need someone to fill that role. And then they start to talk about like yeah. the captain Britain corpse and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it like almost positions him like as if he's some kind of green lantern kind of character. And, uh, and I was like, how do I not even know who this character even is? And there's all of there's like yeah. a whole thing. So I'm excited to go back and read a little bit of that before Excalibur so I can get some context. Yeah, because, yeah, his sister who is in who is Cyclops, Cyclops, Psylocke, sorry, is taking over as being Captain Britain in Excalibur number one. Um, so as I said before, legacy heroes are my jam. I love British characters. Obviously, being mm-hmm. British, it's a bit of a thrill to get a character from where I'm from. So I'm really looking forward to Excalibur. Yeah, that's um, cool. I'm interested in the other X books. 
But I think the the one I'm least interested in is like X Force and Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels, I think, is going to get cancelled. Yeah, so, so I could be wrong. So, sort of from the from that perspective, like we already mentioned, Marauders. That's probably the one that I'm actually most excited to read, and I'm very excited that it's just a few yeah. days away. But um, the uh, the one that I'm most interested to see. I'm not going to say I'm most excited about, but I'm most interested in to see how it goes is fallen angels because mm-hmm. um, it is like the cover is not particularly like the, Good. I'm not a fan of the art on it that much, but it, in, to some degree I am interested in seeing it, even if it is not great, like seeing how they handle that. But like, it feels like the one that needs to exist the least but they are clearly yeah. paying a writer and an artist to work on it. And, you know, Hickman has some level of involvement in every single one of these books. So I feel like there can't be any real throwaways. Um, so I'm interested to see how that, how that, that book shakes out in a weird way. I'm almost anticipating it the most out of this set of issue ones, because it seems like I'd the love black to sheet. see what it's about. Yeah. Also it stars Psylocke. Who, as we've just discussed, is <laughs> yeah. Cats in Britain's sister. So either they are finally demerging the characters, because Cats in Britain's sister isn't an Asian woman. Um, she her brain was forced imprinted over Psylocke's brain. So maybe something is they're going to be reseparate them. Yeah, um, that's inter- that'll be interesting, interesting to see. Um, and I'm also the, I will say conceptually, Fallen Angels, uh, the idea of a group of mutants that doesn't want to be a part of the new mutant nation is an interesting concept. So conceptually, it does seem like an interesting book. The, the, what I've seen of it doesn't seem that impressive from an art perspective, but that's also the cover. You know, like who knows yeah. what we don't, I don't. I haven't seen any pages from inside that book, so I'm very interested to see where yeah. where that goes and to see how it ties yeah, into. Yeah, Psylocke is doing the classic, you can see a bit of my butt and a bit of my chest pose, which we know isn't <laughs> a thing that you can do. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see how yeah, that book looks. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating. Um, and I, I do anticipate that that, I feel like that and Excalibur are probably the ones most likely to end. Um, prematurely. <laughs> prematurely or whether it's planned or not to be actually yeah. limited in a sense, you know, like. I could see there being six issues of Fallen Angels, we'll say, um, yeah. or eight issues or whatever. Um, I, I think that Fallen Angels is the book that that Logan book is going to replace next year. Yeah. Um, but um, but you would know better than me. I'm not. I don't. I don't have as good a sense of the ebb and flow of the well, that stuff. But I don't know who the writer is. Um, and well, the one thing I'll say is the cover is by a different artist than the interior. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah. So who knows? So who knows? Um, They've not. They've not given any previews of the interior art. No. Um, the next issue's cover is the same artist, but it looks a lot better. I. F- um, the third issue cover is actually real nice. It's got like sakura blossoms, and there's obviously a bit stereotype Japanese character going on there. But um, I'll 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 wait and I won't judge it straight away. Well, it's set it looks in like four issues. Have been written and drawn. It's set so, in Tokyo, right? I th- isn't I thought it was set in Madripoor? Uh, maybe Marvel's maybe fake Asian. Yeah, country. maybe it is. Yeah, that could be. Um, I'm interested to see how it goes. Yeah, I'm just um, curious about it. It's not that I think it's going to be especially good. I'm not going to be. Uh, my expectations are probably lowest for that book, but 
that yeah. said in a way that makes it the most interesting to me too. So. Yeah. Same. Um, so yeah, I think next, next month we'll definitely talk about X-Men probably again. Uh, maybe the main topic of the month could be the Dawn of X issue one. And we could almost kind of, depending on timing, we could even sort of talk about Hox Pox as a yeah. part of that, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, required reading for next month. I don't think we will probably stray outside of the X-Men universe. If we do, we'll announce it on Twitter. Um, so if you guys want to read along with us, you most certainly can. I know that I definitely want to talk about Excalibur, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. And I, I, I and Marauders as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we might pick those two. We'll have to see how they, I want to read them and see which ones are the most interesting. Uh, and then we'll pick mm. a topic, uh, from those, but yeah, I think our next ep- cool. episode will probably be after all of those books are out. Right. Um, yeah, we, we gauge to record the third or fourth week of the month. We should be all right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have to look at the exact numbers, like release dates of them, but but they're they're coming out every the thir- week for the next like month. So, yeah, the thirteenth of November is the la- is Fallen Angels, okay, which is there the we last go. one, last issue one. Yeah, great. So if, yeah, if we recorded on the seventeenth or the twenty fourth, yeah. then we'd be able to talk about all of them. Yeah, sounds good. If we talk about do the twenty fourth, we can talk about X Men issue two as well. Cool, cool. We'll book it in for then. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's everything. Um, that's. Yeah, that's uh, that's us. Oh, we'll be able to talk about HBO's Watchmen next month. There will have been four. Yeah, episodes. we'll have to figure out how we're going to talk about if we're going to talk about that here or another forum or separately. What? Yeah, because yeah, uh, I'm I'm planning to watch that as well. Uh, yeah, cool. I'm also excited to hear how you get on with Arrow. Yes, well, we're locked in now. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. that's, that's, it'll, it'll continue. Uh, it may impact my ability to finish video games, <laughs> but, uh, but, but it's worth it. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's us for this week. Um, don't know how to sign the show off. Uh, go listen to Capes and Japes, listen to the, our other podcast gaming fix, and we will speak to you next month. Where you can find us on Twitter. If yeah, you want yeah. at fix podcasts, uh, and I'm PJC Plays at, on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, you can find me at SGCH. But if you find our fixed Twitter, we're all linked there. Mm-hmm. Thanks everybody for listening. Bye.